Good morning, church. So we've got the reading today, which is from Luke chapter 26 to verse 56. So we've got about 30 chapters. 30, sorry, 30 verses. <laughs> 30 chapters, a bit long, sorry. Uh, okay, and Jemima's going to read that for us. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The God is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born, power of the Most High. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be un unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured? The mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent the, ray, the rich away empty. He has helped the servant of Israel, remembering to be merciful, and to Abraham his descendants forever, as he promised to our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Good morning. We're into the, uh, the straight now, aren't we? Uh, it's that time, and it doesn't feel different this time of year. You, you just sort of notice, maybe it's the adrenaline in our systems, I'm not sure what it is or just the exhaustion. <laughs> but uh, yes, it's, it's, uh, it's great to be able to share with you out of the continuing story of the birth of Christ from Luke's Gospel. Last week we were looking at uh, the testimony, um, somewhat unwilling testimony of Zachariah, uh, a fellow who couldn't quite believe that uh, God was at work in the miraculous birth of his son. And this week we come to the the, the story that weaves through Luke chapter 1, Mary's witness to these events that are coming. It takes me back, I was just sitting there thinking a moment ago, it takes me back to my last church. It was quite a musical church uh, and we had a couple of 
recordings made and that sort of thing, and we had very good musicians and much like here. And, um, the, uh, the parting gesture as I was leaving that church is that the musicians decided to, to do me a favour and they made an album of some of my songs, but they also made another one where I didn't realise over, over about six months since I announced that I was leaving, whenever I came up to the podium to uh, get ready, they'd be playing the last song and just inadvertently I would come up to the podium and put my singing and I'd sort of catch the line that we're singing and I'd sort of sing along and um, <clears throat> cut out halfway through the line and then might try a little bit of harmony. Sometimes I'd get it, sometimes almost. <laughs> and, uh, and at the end of this, they, they collected all these and made an album called Jeff Sings. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cappella. <laughs> and it's been one of my quests in life to hunt down the very last copy of that album and destroy it. <laughs> but uh, there was something terribly wrong and missing. And uh, I feel that sometimes it's like that when we come to Christmas. We sort of just launch into this manger scene with no structure around it, with no harmonies, no supporting rhythms, and we haven't been led into it. And it's important to read these stories because you won't understand what we celebrate in the middle of this week if we, we don't do these stories. These situate the story for us. And uh, this one in particular. There's a, a danger that we have when we look at these stories is that we like to moralise and we like to take something away for ourselves. We like to... Uh, to find an ethic or a moral in the story, but you really can't do that with these stories. And uh, this is about getting ready for a unique event, a salvation historical event. It's about God. It's not about us. It's not about what we should do because. It's about a unique event that God does only once and he only needs to do once. You know, this is the source of the greatest hope that humanity can have. That we are so fortunate that our God is not like Allah or the Brahmin God, but he is a God who actually steps into our history, breaks in in the middle of time, least expected, to take up our lot and to fix it once and for all. It's about a unique God that we cannot begin to comprehend. We only grasp the outskirts of his ways. This is not a story where I will send you out today and say, go thou and do likewise. You can't. This is God's story. It's his actions. And it's about unique history, not typical history. And it begins with this story of a commission, followed by a story of a confirmation, and then a story or the consequences of this commission. In verses 26, we read about that same angel that we read about last week, Gabriel, that was sent to John, the, the great archangel of God, the messenger angel, who comes to Galilee up the north, a very humble place, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, and he is from the noble line of David. He has lineage. And that's important for God's purposes. 
And he comes to this house and probably somewhere inside the house he meets a maiden, Mary. She's already been granted, all the contracts have been signed by the families and she's going to be married to Joseph in due course. And he greets her and he says, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. And as you would know, uh, the Catholic Church, that has a component of the church, has that as one of its favourite phrases and they build a lot of theology on that. On that um, uh, they, the, the idea that Mary is full of grace. Hail Mary, Mother of God, full of grace. But it doesn't say that. Uh, Mary is not full of grace, she is favoured. God's grace has fallen upon her, it doesn't come from her. It's not within. This one, God is visiting through the messenger. The Lord is with you. And isn't it interesting in verse 29, she says, she is greatly troubled at this saying. And she tried to work out what sort of greeting this might be. Now, if I was there, and I think if you were there, and we're just about our household business in the humble family home, and an angel appears, I would have been just stunned with the presence of the angel. But she's already moved beyond the presence of the angelic being and she's more worried about the content of what he says. And he says, you're the favourite one and the Lord is with you. Now, I think this tells us something about Mary, an exceptional character for one so humble in her origins that this one is aware of her scriptures and she knows that in the scriptures when God appears or his angel appears and calls someone lucky, it's because everything out there looks pretty unlucky. And when God says the Lord is with you, it's because you feel abandoned. (laughs) And that's the way it was whenever the prophets were told the Lord is with you, They're about to give up and she wonders what's about to happen to her. That she should be greeted in such a complex way, with such a double-edged hello, that troubles her. And the angel can see this trouble written all over her face. And he says, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favour with God. That's what it means. You know, God is going to do something that you don't deserve. This is not a reward for service, it's a reward of service. You are favoured with God. And behold, here's the news. You'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. Does that ring a bell? It's just like what he said to Elizabeth about John, that she will conceive and bear a son and his name will be John. But the differences start to stack up. You'll call his name Jesus, which is the same as the Old Testament name Joshua. God saves. Hmm, that's interesting, she says. And he'll be great and be called Son of the Most High. That's very interesting, she would be saying. Not only is he to be called after a great patriarch, but he is God's son of the species God. And he is the one who is the son of the most high God. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. 
He's also going to be royal. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Being a woman of the word, she would recognise Isaiah chapter 7 and the prophecy to Isaiah about a maiden who will conceive. And Gabriel is saying, this script, you know that script out of Isaiah? Uh-huh. You're the maiden. Oh. <laughs> and this one, Mary suddenly says, well, how can this be? For I'm a virgin. And she's not saying, well, this can't be right, I'm not ready for it, it's not going to be a good look. <laughs> she's saying, no, I, uh, I'm betrothed. Um, how can I bear the one who is going to be son of God? It's not that she doubts the word, she wants to know the means by which the word will be fulfilled. Do we have to bring forth a wedding? But as soon as she thinks that, then that's a non sequitur because that would be Joseph's son, it wouldn't be son of the Most High. Or does Joseph have nothing to do with it, in which case it's going to look jolly suspicious? And, you know, are you asking for a conception outside of marriage it's it's all too much how are you going to do it not that it's going to happen she doesn't doubt the word of the angels but she'd like a bit more detail and right at that point he says okay we'll give you some more explanation here's how it will happen in verse 35 the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you basically saying the same thing two different ways And for that reason, or therefore, the child will be called, to be born to you, will be called Holy Son of God. That's how come the child can be divine. It's going to be totally the work of God's creative spirit. And that's how come the child will be holy, because it's a product of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Mary and Joseph will contribute nothing to this equation. This is not a parallel to Elizabeth's miraculous birth, which was just removing the infertility problem. That was a straight-up miracle. This is the creative fiat of God himself making the existence of a child that does not exist. It's all of the Holy Spirit. Just relax. But God is going to create, as he did the first Adam, a second Adam within your womb. I've got to see, I've got to feel for this girl. (laughs) I mean, a moment ago, she was doing the housework. She had a nice boyfriend all teed up and she knew that her life was all going to be panning out as a peasant woman. She knows how to do that. And all of a sudden, this angel has upturned the apple cart and he's saying that this Messiah, this figure promised from the ages, is going to enter the ether of this world through your womb. No one has ever been told that. She's got no precedent to lie back on and no one will ever be taught it again. It's phenomenal, isn't it? But it's critical. The theology here is absolutely essential for us to understand our faith. That this woman 
has to grasp something which many who name the Christ do not grasp even today. That on the one hand, because this is a, a creation event, a second sort of creation, this one has to be all of God and nothing of... Mary doesn't supply an egg, Joseph does not supply the sperm. God supplies the being. On the one hand, this one has to be born so that they have a normal human life. They have to live to be one of us. It's a doctrine of identification. They have to live where we live and how we live. Through birth, for the rest of their life as a human. But if this one is not just one of us, if he is to be an effective substitute for our sin, if he's going to be the holy lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, if this one is going to stand in our place, if this one is going to be one for us, he must not be touched by us. He cannot be one of us in the sense of descended from the material substance of Joseph or Mary. And that's why the virgin birth is essential doctrine. It's not just something that Christians salute the flag when they think of orthodoxy. This is absolutely essential. You see, the whole of Christian doctrine falls together completely like the perfect jigsaw puzzle. When the church starts to play fast and loose with this doctrine, maybe we don't need this little bit. The whole thing crumbles. It ruins the whole picture. But you know, the real miracle here is not the virgin birth, I don't think. It's not difficult for God to create. We already have the precedent. The infinite God, with his infinite wisdom, has the capacity to create the most complex of worlds. You stare at this world as you stare at the most minute cell in this world. We have something that no human, no computer will ever make. And the cell didn't make itself. For one cell to exist, you need 10 to the power of 140. There's only one chance in 10 to the power of 140 that one cell can exist. But that's nothing to God. That's a walk in the park. And to create a human being for him, with infinite power, with infinite wisdom, it's a, it's a no-brainer. So that's not the miracle. The miracle is that he would bother at all. The miracle is that he would still have plans for this world. This world that you need no reminding of is pretty pathetic. And yet he knows how bad this world can get. And yet he is still committed to step into this world and to become one of us for the sake of redeeming this world. That's the miracle. And it's also pretty impressive that this maiden is open to the possibility of being part of that story of being essential to that story and it's a quite remarkable if if you think about it that this woman she is not like you she does not have the holy spirit she has no illumination of the scriptures all she has is the text 
and she trusts the text. She has had no convent training, no rabbinical education. She's a peasant girl, but she knows the text and she trusts the text. I'd have to say here that there is one small parallel between Mary and ourselves. And I see it every time I see a young missionary in training about to go off. In my time with Summer Institute of Linguistics, around this time, people start to gather from around the world, out of kangaroo ground, from all over the place, for their boot camp training, six weeks of arduous linguistic and missiological exposure. Every time I see that, I'm absolutely astonished by the calibre of people and the size of their normal income foregone to go through this rigorous training. I see people who are uh, advisors to government or medical specialists, psychiatrists, from the least to the greatest to the, the most average. But one thing I see is just like Mary... I see people who are convinced about the veracity of the scriptures. And that's why they're willing, like Mary was, to be able to say to God those words that Mary said somewhere in their experience, let this happen to me. Let this be according to your word. I'm quite acquiescent to fulfil that role that you have for me. You know, we look around this world and we see that people keep on telling us that the, the age of missions is over. We just can't have the volunteers. You know what is behind the volunteer? Biblical literacy. We live in an age which is so enamoured with the subjective that we've lost sight of the objective truth of what God is doing in this world. And you will not get a revolutionary church with rubbery commitments. We have to have a church that gets back to its biblical literacy. If there's something that we are like Mary, it is like that. You never can say, let this be according to your word unless you can see yourself within the word. Well, we come to the second story and there we read that in those days Mary arose and went into the house in the hill country to the town of Judea and she entered the house of Zechariah. Now that makes sense because the angel has told her, your cousin, uh, if you want confirmation, your cousin is pregnant. Mary? <laughs> yeah, she's on the senior's card. <laughs> yeah, well, she's pregnant. Six months. Six months. Um, and so if there's anyone in the planet that can understand Mary's condition, it's Elizabeth. And so she drops everything and she heads south and up into the hill country of Judea, somewhere near Jerusalem. And she comes to Elizabeth and she enters the house and right at that moment, this little passage here, you think it's just a jolly story. This is absolutely critical to your faith. This is confirmation of what the angel said. The baby within Elizabeth, John the Baptist to be, leaps in her womb. And Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaims with a loud cry, and I won't try and mimic that, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. The mother of my Lord. How does she know that? Mary hasn't opened her mouth. But the Spirit has illuminated Elizabeth to understand that this walking, walking in the door is going to be the messianic transport for the next nine months. That's her role. To bear this bub who is the inbreaking of God into the world. Why should this happen to me that you even visit to me? And then she explains and she says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what the Lord has spoken to her from the Lord. That's Mary. Blessed are you that you'll believe. You see, here we have communication happening on two planes. It's fascinating, isn't it? On the one hand, you have the human communication of heart to heart, that uh, Mary and Elizabeth, they have something in common, an angelic visitation, a miraculous birth. But uh, Mary's is, is a scale factor more significant than Elizabeth's. Elizabeth is just producing a prophet. Mary is bearing the creator. There's a communication at that plan, at that plane, but there's also this tummy-to-tummy communication happening here. That when the baby, and remember in chapter 1, verse 15, we were told that the angel told Zechariah that this baby would be filled with the Spirit from conception onwards. Isn't that phenomenal? So it's that Spirit who cannot contain the joy of the Spirit when suddenly in front of him, who is there? None other than the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Logos, inside the tummy of this woman. And it's like the two tummies have come together and they're saying, fancy meeting you here. (laughs) Hey, this is great. You see, what they're celebrating is a reunion. It's a rendezvous which takes them back to that other ether, whatever that is, of eternity. Where moment by moment, the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit's role is to celebrate the glories of the second person of the Trinity through which the Father is also glorified. That's the whole ambition of the Spirit, is to focus his attention. And he's always been doing that ever since Well, we don't have an ever because it's an eternity. It's always happening. It's happening now as we speak. The Holy Spirit, the love of God is rejoicing of the glories of the Son. And the Son is enjoying the Spirit. And the Son is enjoying the Father. And the Spirit is that, that transaction, that transitional zone. He is there between them, making it happen. And right here, eternity comes to this peasant neighborhood and does what comes naturally to eternity. The Godhead rejoicing in the Godhead. What a remarkable moment. It's remarkable because it confirms the angel's word, which was God's word, has already been fulfilled. This child already exists. Let's digress to a tragic note. Isn't it sad that in the next month, in this state, 
there will be 400 children that have their lives taken from them in the womb. These were two people. Their location was the protected cocoon of their mother's wombs. If that does not bring us to tears, we have become callous. But you know, I've preached at churches in this denomination. My last college, I had a five-page lawyer's letter written to me because I held the view that the child in the womb was really a child. You would not have been able to fulfil, the Holy Spirit would not have been able to fill just a bunch of cells. But the Holy Spirit rejoiced in a person. A hybrid person, yes. God and man happily in communion. If God is happy to commune with the child in the womb, then we must regard them as precious too. We cannot sit by another year watching this grievous genocide occur and think that this God is neutral about that? Can we? If we are to understand Christmas, we must write letters. We must pray that God in his grace will not give this state what it deserves. And you realise that our state legislature is the most draconian in the world? I don't usually get onto politics, but here is where politics and theology overlap indelibly at Christmas. You can't celebrate Christmas and not be concerned about those in whom God is pleased to inhabit, the unborn. So this baby confirms to Mary this kicking in one woman's stomach confirms that Mary is the bearer of the Son of God. Remarkable. It's a picture of the privilege that we have today that we've just experienced in our own worship, is it not? That this is what the Spirit unites us with. You know, when we come into this house, when Joss and the team get up and sing, it's not for your entertainment. It's not because we need a bit of a jolly up and a bit of singing can't hurt. It's because by union with the Spirit who always focuses on the glories of the revealed one Christ for the glory of the Father, this Spirit has united us with this Christ so as we look at this team and as you hear this message, your heart turns to Christ and the sort of experience which is theirs naturally in eternity, becomes ours supernaturally in history. What a place this is. This is holy ground. This is where the sacred transaction occurs. 
This is not about star quality. It's not bringing glory to men. It's bringing men and women to glorify in Jesus. What a remarkable opportunity we had. And I hope you didn't miss it this morning. But a Christian is a person who is having eternity in their neighbourhood. What a fortunate people we are. If only the world could realise what is happening here right this minute. Well, finally, Mary, she's been standing there. She's been hearing all this. It's wonderful confirmation and she cannot help but burst out in song. Now, if I was a, uh, if you'd known me when I was 10 years old, I would have stopped the sermon right here. Because as a little guy, um, we didn't go to the theatre much. We went a lot to the Clayton Drive-In and Metro Malvern, the Metro Theatre in Malvern. Anyone been there? One. <laughs> Any advance on them? Two. <laughs> and uh, we, over, we only saw two sorts of films, one made by Walt Disney and musicals. My mother loved Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. And fortunately, you know, I, I went right through those, you know, it was either Gordon McRae or Susan Jones or Julie Andrews, and I, when Barbara Streisand came, I left home. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> just uh, and uh, uh, I just couldn't handle it. That You know, here you'd have usually really good plots, and, you know, you're just having something dramatic happen, and what do they do? They burst into song. <laughs> you think, oh my goodness, get on with the movie. People don't do that. <laughs> you know, that's wacky. Especially growing men with guns on their hips, etc. They don't start singing, Oklahoma. That's just, <laughs> Please. <laughs> I thought, who are these wackers that make these things? And, you know, the movie could be shorter. Or <laughs> Uh, more gore, I don't know. <laughs> so, but, uh, but here, you know, it's entirely appropriate. The most dramatic thing has just happened in human history. Confirmation that God is with us. Emmanuel. And that she is the royal transport for that being. And so she cannot but sing. And what a song. She sings about six things God does. Two, two, and two. First few are about her personal answers to prayer. My soul magnifies the Lord. This is called the Magnificat in Latin. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he, the Almighty, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The personal element is gratitude. She spills over with her great fortune. But then she goes on, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And she's speaking prophetically about what will happen. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted the humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty-handed. She's speaking of the fact that the very presumption of those narcissists that we call leaders, that will be burst and God will bring them screaming down in a heap. 
And also those who are so repressed they can't believe that anything will ever change. He'll lift them up. We have here a story of a certain sort of God. He's not the God of Zechariah. He's not the God who creates stuff and then pulls up the drawbridge and watches from the spectator stand. This is a God who is involved in history. This is a theistic God, not a deistic God. He is the living God. He's a player, not a spectator. And this God is the God she speaks about. This is a God who is involved in the reordering of politics all around the world. Now, we can't actually discern that clearly. It's not our job to. But you look around the world and you see that you cannot explain the world without the world in the lens of Christ. Who would have thought that countries like China would be repressing the church again because it's got too significant? Who would have thought that Iran and Iranians are turning to Christ like someone's turned on a tap. It's because our God, our theistic, our living God is active and he is playing out his, his purposes. But she comes to the climax of her poetry when he says in 54, 55, he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to the fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring together. She is saying here, that history has a terminus and it is the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham. There is an engine that is driving history and it may look chaotic, it may look like this tyrant or this nation is too big, but how many reichs have fallen between the time this was said and our day? How many will fall and rise again? But there's one story that is victorious and it's a story of a promise made to a wandering Aramean, a man of no great means. When God promised that he would have offspring as numerous as the sands, as the stars, as all the Christians of history. And we enter that promise just as Abraham did. We are here because God has kept his promise to that insignificant Aramean. And that is the engine that drives history. And the mechanics of that engine, thank God, is that it's an engine built on promise, on grace. It's not the Mosaic covenant. That has nothing to do with our experience. That has failed. It is gone. But God invites Jew and Gentile, just like Abraham, to trust the promise. And you contribute nothing and you receive everything. And that's the engine that drives history. Folks, many of us here have and many of us here will go through really tough times. In the next year, there'll be great things and tragic things. But that is not the terminus of the story. That is just part and parcel of a distorted world. 
But the good news is that world falls under the sovereign promise made to Abraham. That if you take it up by faith, that is the way to the best of possible worlds. In fact, it's the only way to the best of possible worlds. This is not the best of possible worlds. If this was the best of possible worlds, then what we are going through now or in the future would be a tragedy end of story. Full stop. But this is only the best way to the best of possible worlds. God has so invented the way of salvation and the gateway to salvation that you and I can't get our grubby hands on it. We just receive it by faith, through grace. So that we will get to the next of possible worlds, certainly. With absolute assurance. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's what Christmas is about, according to Mary, is that God's engine is still driving, driving, driving history to that gateway into the best of possible worlds. You want to thank him. You've got to thank God for that. Let's do that now. We thank you, O Lord God, that as we sit here, we aren't much chop, we're average, we're just people on the surface. But we thank you that you have granted us to be caught up into this great narrative, this promise that will have its fulfilment. We thank you, O Lord Jesus Christ, for presencing amongst us this morning by virtue of your word through the agency of your spirit. Grant us to take away with us that glimpse of the heart of God himself that we might leave here rejoicing in anticipation of the greater gifts yet to come. Through Jesus Christ we pray this day. Amen.